All right, well, welcome everybody. Uh, Tom Miller and Katie Ridenauer and Rhonda Dillingham uh, in, a, in a partnership with, uh, with, with some great EC teachers and directors and principals from across North Carolina and maybe, maybe across uh, the nation. We'll see, we try to stretch as far as uh, possible. So if you haven't had a chance, you know, tell us where you're joining us from. Uh, what's, your, what's your school, what's the location? What's your biggest, you know, challenge maybe right now? What's your, you know, maybe what's your greatest win? What's your greatest even fear? I put some questions to you yesterday uh, in the chat box to start uh, thinking about for our call today. Um, so I want to give uh, Katie and Rhonda a chance to say hi. So Katie, how are you doing? Doing great. It's been a great busy day, but it's been good. <laughs> Thanks uh, for asking. Hope you're being intentional with your day. And Rhonda Dillingham from the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm doing great. Staying busy as usual, getting a lot done. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. So one of the um, one of the first things I wanted to talk about today as I wait for you guys to put your uh, questions in the box, it was this article. Um, I can't remember where I got it. Might have been from Rhonda. Or maybe I was rolling around on Twitter because you all know most of you uh, principals on the call, I'll tell you right now, don't be on Twitter and stuff like late at night and start forwarding things, you know, to your team. Cause I'm sure, you know, Katie gets angry with me when I go on like a, like a Twitter binge with all the great resources that you can find. But this is one particular article and I just put it in a chat box. And um, it was about how exceptional children's uh, teachers in Cleveland County here in North Carolina um, are doing such a great job with, with serving uh, their students. But it wasn't necessarily that they're serving their students um, in a um, uh, you know, related service way or their direct service way, but they focused on maybe one of the key areas of all education that uh, we know and learn, some of us learn the hard way, and that is through building relationships. So I asked my relationship expert, uh, it's not me, everybody, uh, Katie and Rhonda, <laughs> to share their top relationship building tip and strategy that they use. And I would love for you to put in the chat box, what is the best way that you have learned to form relationships uh, with parents and uh, students? Because I'll never forget Katie and Rhonda and Teresa and Daughtry and Emily, all these people. Oh, and Tracy Riddle's out there with us. When I was a self-contained autism teacher way back in the day, so 20 years ago now, it's crazy. But we had this student, his name was Daquan. And Daquan uh, came to us in first grade, completely nonverbal. And he would just point and grunt at things. And I had this amazing teacher assistant. Her name was Shirley Blanding. And Shirley was so good at just not doing things for kids. You know what I mean? Like, as an exceptional children's teacher, mm -hmm. we have to, like, get really good at not doing things for our students because they've already got these learned behaviors. So we were focusing on, um, you know, we, we had a feeling he could communicate with words, but so we just wouldn't do stuff for him until he started mm -hmm. to talk. And then he just started to talk and talk and talk. And I remember calling his mom, you know, one day because I just didn't really hear much from her. And I said, um, so, you know, how great is it that uh, Daquan is using his words? And she said, he can't talk. And I said, Daquan can talk, believe me. And I said, just 
stop, stop doing so many things for him, right? Which is maybe hard to say to a mom. Stop doing so many things for him. Two months later, it was middle of the summertime, and she called me out of the blue, and she said, hey, look, um, Daquan is talking, and uh, he won't shut up. So how do, I, how do I, like, you know, change the process? I said, oh, that's so exciting. She said, yeah, he, he will just never, ever, ever be quiet. So the next year, we have focused on reading. Like, we started to teach Daquan how to read, and he was reading his sight words and doing all these other things. So it was – it was about maybe halfway through this uh, school year and she asked for a, a uh, meeting and we were just you know, sitting there talking and she said, uh, I said, so how's this, how does reading coming? She said, oh, um, he uh, pretends like he can't read, but here's, but here's how I learned. We were in the DMV and she was waiting in line and he kept saying, hey ma, what's that sign say? What's that sign say? What's that sign say? And she said, it says that little boys should be quiet in this building. And he said, no, it doesn't. It says, and he read the line perfectly. And she said, so now she goes, I don't want you guys to teach him any more things. He won't stop talking. <laughs> and he's reading like crazy. But I thought about that, about, you know, when I was reading this article, because, you know, it's sometimes the little things, like as exceptional children's teachers, we need to be that relationship builder between the school and the home because sometimes the children in learned behaviors don't go that extra mile for their, you know, for mom and dad, mm. right? And so if you read this article, it talks specifically about how the teachers have taken more time almost to teach the parents how to best serve their children in an academic stance. And that is creating stronger relationships between home to school, school to home, and home to child. So just, just remember that it might not be about specifically serving the students, but the greater long-standing relationship that you're building with that uh, family is how much you can help that parent be a better leader in the home. So that was just something that this article made me um, you know, think about, you know, time, you know, 18, 19 years ago, I thought, you know, probably happened. And it really resonated with me about how, how that if I didn't, you know, build that relationship with that parent and, you know, be able to say, it's like, like, you, you need to do more. Like, you need to know what your child can do and can't do. So then you can mm -hmm. better serve them. It really made a difference. So Rhonda, what's, what's one really great uh, relationship uh, teaching tip that you have? Relationship building tips, sorry. My number one go-to is to uh, show gratitude. Uh, it's really simple and probably not, you know, you don't think about it very much, but a thank you is huge. People need to know that they're valued and that's a very simple way to do it. And then, you know, I'm old school, and so uh, I still write, handwrite notes to people. Um, and it might not mean something to other people, but when I get a note in the mail from someone, you know, just because it take, it shows me that they took the time to think about me. And you can do that with students and parents and teachers, just a quick handwritten note. Um, can go a long way. 
Yeah, I love that. I still have so many handwritten notes um, that I got from either adults that were mentors, maybe in you know education, or even uh, which is really funny the you know the teacher that I mentored um, who ended up marrying my first uh, business partner Jeff, who was my substitute teacher. Right, so it's just a way that you know, circles come. I mean, you're always building relationships. And through handwritten notes, I mean, honestly, everybody, when's the last time you got a handwritten letter, right? And when you go to the mailbox and you see one, it's the first thing you open. You always open a package and you always open handwritten letters. So that's another great tip. You know, maybe that's something you guys could do. Write a handwritten note to your families or uh, to your students. That'd be awesome. Let me add one thing. I, just to do a shout out, Tom, if I may. Um, Teresa at Tillery, I, I saw recently that every single student in that school got a handwritten note from her. Yeah, I saw that. Wow. Yeah, That's so fantastic. shout out to Teresa. Um, she, she gets it, that little connection. People remember that. Yeah, it is great. Yeah, and I just, I'll add to that. I mean, so many photos came through and like personal thank yous on my emails and the kids were just adorable opening them and sharing one little girl said i thought it was a party invitation but i wish i thought it was even cuter but they it really said a lot for the parents to reach back out and like let me know that they got it so yeah perfect because i'm seeing some really good challenges right you know challenges that you all are uh, facing reality technical challenge right how do we get remote learning to work how do we engage really overwhelmed parents i mean Part of the helping of helping overwhelmed parents is to let them know that you're human and we know you're human. And here's a note, like we're, we are thinking of you. And uh, you know, it's not always about the technical piece, even though in exceptional children, you know, we're so highly held accountable. Um, and some of our goals are going to fall to the side, but it's gonna be about how we make people feel during this time that's gonna last a long way. So, uh, Katie, I know you had one. You had one relationship tip that you wanted to share too. Yeah. Well, when we started talking about relationships, I was thinking about my Ruby Payne training, and you know, she's all about how do you reach those students who live in poverty. And a lot of times, the different perspectives that children in poverty bring to school are misunderstood and uh, responded to in a negative way. And so, if that child has an exceptionality, then you know they're they're, uh, you know, that can compound the troubles that they have at school. And so one action step that she delivers, I just wanted to walk people through this a little bit. So do you mind if I share my screen? Okay, so let me get the right screen up here. Okay, can you all see? Let me just, oh, you know, this tech savviness. Click the uh, present button. Yeah, no, that's, it's just the other stuff is getting in the way. Oh. <laughs> that's the problem. Okay, so let me get the present here. Okay, here we go. Um, so, uh, so in her book, uh, Framework for Teaching Children in Poverty, she has 10 action steps. And the first one is to, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's to build uh, relationships of mutual respect. And these relationships involve three things, support, high expectations, and insistence. So because this, you know, relationships form the foundation 
of, of how you connect with kids. And once you have this relationship of mutual respect, then you can teach them. But I made the mistake when I was a beginning teacher thinking that, oh, students are just going to do what I said because I was the teacher and I learned really quickly that that was a really bad assumption. And, and it really wasn't the way I, I operate in the world anyway. So I, I needed some more resources in order to, to reach and teach my students. And you know, so think about how during COVID-19, we're supporting students, maintaining those high expectations, just like you knew Daquan could talk, right? And you expected him to do so, um, and then insisting that they do so. So it's really those three pieces and you know, Ruby talks about this research out of Dublin, Ireland, that they found, you know, after studying almost 15,000 people, that the biggest difference in a child's life can be one good adult. So, you know, Teresa sending that note uh, home to every single child at her school, they're gonna remember that, right? In 20 years, they're gonna say, wow, my principal took the time to reach out. Uh, you know, so think about how, who can be the one good adult to those students who are really struggling? Um, so, oh, I'm going, you know, I'm really better with technology than this, but Tom might disagree. Uh, do, you, do you all remember the movie uh, The Breakfast Club, where there was that Principal Vernon who was awful? Can you picture him, you know, yelling at the kids? And, and he wanted them to just sit there and write that essay just because he told them to, and they were all about doing everything but that. And, you know, so this, this quote by Grant East kind of summarized summarizes that relationship that the students had with Principal Vernon. Uh, rules without relationship breed rebellion, right? So it might be a silent rebellion where students decide I'm done learning, or it could be a rebellion like we saw in the movie where you know the kids kind of tore up the place and, and did all sorts of things. You know, so instead of breeding rebellion, breed relationships. And because all learning is double-coded, and what Greenspan and Benderly are talking about here is that we code what we learn mentally and physically. Like we code, okay, I have some new knowledge, but also how do I feel about it? So when you have a relationship with the person who's doing the teaching, you code that physically in a positive way. So you, know, you feel good about reading, you feel good about math or science because of the relationship you have with it. And then that affects the quality of what you learn. You know, I had, I must have had a really great reading instructor when I was little because I love reading. I love, you know, my kids are always joking with me, um, you know, like I'm the boggle queen and uh, except for playing with my son who likes to put all these phony words in there. But, um, but, you know, so think about how you're double coding what you're learning through, you know, how are they getting it mentally and physically? You know, do you have that connection with them? So you kind of earn the right for them to learn. So, you know, like I said, you know, you have to have these three things, support, high expectations, and insistent, insistence. So support is, is how you teach it. You know, do you teach it in the way that they need to receive it? Do you give them mental models or, you know, metaphors or, you know, ways for them to understand it in the terms, you know, in the world that they live in? Uh, one example that she gives is talking about um, inflation. You know, inflation is when the cost of um, cost of everything takes the elevator, but your salary takes the stairs, right? And so we can picture that. You know, so if you can give your students mental models to understand the world, then you know they're gonna they're gonna grab onto it, and then have those high expectations. 
you know, if you're always saying, oh, I knew you guys couldn't do this, well, then you're probably right. But if, if you say, well, you know, I always told my students, oh, you can't do that. Let's just add a word to that yet. And, and they got really annoyed with me. And I, after, you know, after a couple months, they'd always say, I know Miss Ride now, or I can't do it yet. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you need to get there? But my expectations stayed the same. The path to getting there wasn't always the same. And then insistence, the motivation and persistence that comes from relationship. Uh, persistence, wouldn't you like to be able to bottle that up and sprinkle that on some of the students in your school? Uh, I have a son who is so persistent. I mean, he will keep working on something until it's perfect. And then I have another one, not so much. Um, I would love to just rub those two boys together <laughs> so they could share. But instead of doing that, it's through relationship where you can encourage and you know, help them get that persistence so they'll stick to a task and complete it. And so this is the final slide I wanted to share is you know, when thinking about all your students, especially your students in poverty, you know, uh, this comes from Stephen Covey's work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know it's old from 1989, but it's still relevant. Um, that deposits, that's when you seek first to understand. You know, when you ask questions instead of assuming you know what's going on. Withdrawals, that's when you seek first to be understood, that you want people to understand why you're upset or, you know, why you're frustrated. Deposits, you keep promises. I still feel bad about a promise I, I broke back in 1997 to a kid. I told him I'd go to his basketball game and I didn't go. Uh, I, you know, in my defense, I was pregnant and didn't feel well, but I still told him I would be there. And I, I, I'm sure he forgives me, but, um, but keep your promises. Withdrawals are broken promises. Deposits you know, are kindnesses. Hold the door open when you're back face to face. Uh, you know, send those notes like Teresa. You know, be loyal to the absent. You know, when, when teachers talk about the kids who aren't there on a Zoom call or in class, the other kids are listening. So if you're talking, if you are, oh, I wonder, I hope he's okay. You know, then the kids are like, oh, she's gonna say that about me when I'm not here. But if the teacher's talking negatively, like, oh, that kid's never here. Gosh, his mom just can't get him to where he needs to be the kids are going to say, oh my gosh, is she going to talk about my mom that way? So be loyal to the absence. So these are just a few ideas on how to, you know, connect with and create that, mutual, that relationship with mutual respect um, for, for EC students and all students. And this is one of 10. Hey, um, Katie, yeah, leave that, <laughs> I leave that slide up there because I would love to, you know, I would, you know, probably half the people are probably thinking, what the heck does this have to do with why we're on this call? But I mean, <laughs> like, I feel like, and I would love to hear whether it's chat or someone wants to, you know, unmute themselves, like, because here's the thing on the left side is how you build credibility, right? Deposits, you know, my left, right. Uh, that's how you build credibility. Mm -hmm. So when bad things happen, right. You know, John, John Maxwell always talks about credibility is like change in your pocket. And if you keep making withdrawals and not make enough deposits, eventually you're, you know, you're going to have just lint in your pocket, right? You're going to run out of credibility. So the more deposits that you can make, I mean, this is what I'm you know, taking from what you're sharing. The more deposits that you can make in times of crisis and challenging times, whether it's with your 
general ed colleagues, with your EC team, with your principal, with your stakeholders, with your students, you know, you know, with their families, the more deposits you could make, the more that they're going to forgive on the back end, right? You know, the more mm -hmm. that you can kind of have those withdrawals. Uh, be, but if you don't have those uh, deposits in your pocket, it's going to really struggle. So I'm really curious to the, you know, 20 or so, so folks are on, like, what's, what's resonating with you most about, you know, behaviors that you can change or work towards or something that's working well? Because that was the first question that I posed with you is what's working right now in terms of your current plan in supporting your students? And I love for Rhonda and Tracy and anybody else who wants to, you know, kind of chime in here. They're all still thinking about it. Yeah. Tough question. <laughs> Yeah, so, so there was a question in the chat box about how mm -hmm. specifically are you, um, I want to go to the chat so I get the question right, but it was about how are you providing, um, how are the EC teams doing with helping families manage the workload from general ed to EC? We're working on this piece now and we've moved from Google Classroom as a school. So that was from Courtney. Like, to me, like this left-hand side, like part of this is your answer. Like, Maybe yeah. having a conversation with your general ed about how much work do our, do our students need to do at grade level in comparison to maybe some of our, you know, um, uh, below grade level related service and, and you, know, you know, service delivery model. And, and how do we help the families, especially knowing, you know, about your school, Courtney, being in Southeast Raleigh, you know, they're already having a challenge and I was with the leadership team today and they're saying you know our parents are like some of them are really angry with us mm. about school and I said do you think they're actually angry with you or are you kind of their outlet because maybe you're the only group that's giving them any attention right and I remember Ron Clark when we went out there right Katie remember he's he specifically talked about that that you know when families come in angry and and hot and on fire it's not necessarily what happened to their kid at school today that's really got them fired up right yeah it's maybe something that happened in their job and and with you know a lot of you know families right now losing work and 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 you know not being able to work or not you know maybe even being able to provide my wife and I were just talking about um she had a, a meeting with our kids, you know, first grade teacher. And she was like, yeah, I, I see that. But how do I know that he knows that when two vowels go walking, he's, you know, doing it right. You know, like, so my wife is even like, like she needs coaching and counseling and, you know, support to be able to be that teacher that, cause she wants our son to be successful. Right. So there's so many, there's so many dynamics right now happening. Um, mm -hmm. so who do you want to be for that family? Is it about achieving the IEP goal or is it about, you know, being on that deposit side of the relationship? So I'll be quiet for a little while. Yeah. I mean, that the question was, um, asking, you know, how are EC teacher, how EC teams doing with helping families? 
And I think clarifying expectations there on the left side, that's a deposit you're going to make instead of, you know, talking to the gen ed teachers making accusations, but seek first to understand, clarify the expectations. And, um, and I was, I just saw Emily Hayes put a comment in that said EC and general ed teachers have worked together to pare down what students are expected to do with the curriculum. Uh, so Emily, I'd love to know how that happened. How did that, how was that brought about? How did that conversation start? Would you mind hopping on? Sure. Yeah. I think that, um, we are a very small school, um, starting out. And so there is the ability for, I think, a better collaboration because we all have a relationship teacher wise. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we kind of had conversations at the beginning of the school closure about what is this going to look like for students and during that two-week time you know we decided we were going to do activities on google classroom as a school and there is the ability for for me to go in and to assign activities for my students and so we had a conversation about okay typically when they are pulled with me they're not participating in whatever you're assigning during that time so they're not going to get that assignment sent to them because they're going to have something they can work on for me, which is going to be more appropriate to their level. Hmm. And we communicated that with parents um, moving forward. We said, you know, you're going to have assignments from Ms. Hayes that are going to be things that we would be working on in class. And there's only going to be certain assignments from your teacher that are going to be sent to you, which would be during pockets of time that they're not with me. If that hmm. Yeah, that it took a lot of communication to get there to say, well, what did we do before this time? How can we replicate it? And then how do we let everybody know? Yeah. So it sounds like you guys really worked through that in a healthy way to the benefit of the kid. Yeah, and I think just using a platform that works, um, you know, for us, like there wasn't a lot. I mean, there's been a few gray areas, but the parents know whatever I have on here is what I need to do. But I also want quality over quantity. I don't want you to just do these assignments to be done. Um, but you know, if your life is crazy and you know, your parent is still working, you know, you might need to really only work on two things and that's going to be appropriate. So I think, um, I've just been able to do weekly check-ins with all of my parents just to see how things are going, um, and what we need to do to accommodate them and their students. So have you been uh, calling them one-on-one -on -one or how have you been communicating? Um, so we have just been doing weekly check-ins. I haven't been like providing services or anything directly to them, like over mm -hmm. virtual platform, but there are some students that I call and I've talked to on the phone as well as their parent or guardian. And then I have a couple that I have seen virtually um, through mm -hmm. like Zoom or something like that. Okay, that's yeah. helpful. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, you're welcome. That's really helpful. Yeah, you know what? That was really great. And and it, it got me thinking yesterday, Katie, about that text message we got. Um, you know, 80% of our students turned into work. Is that good? Right <laughs> where we got that? And I yeah. was like, and I just kind of playing devil's advocate. I was like, well, I don't know. Is it good? Is that is that what you aim to be? Like, is that your expectation? Was that what was, you know, communicated? Is that is that who and what you need to be for your community? I never really heard much, you know, back on that response, but I mean, you know, you've got to clarify the expectations for what it is, you know, you want. And then you'll, 
you'll learn from feedback about what it is that you need to adjust, right? So, you know, again, going back to Courtney's question about how are they, how are they balancing it? Well, you'll learn, right? You know, you'll, you'll learn and you have to make sure that your perceptions and assumptions are not influencing what you think is possible, right? You can only know what's possible through asking questions and listening and being really observant to, to what's coming back, right? Or, or what your results are, because you are not your results, but your results are your current reality. So use those results to be able to judge how do we do a better job, you know, balancing, right? Or how do we work better together as an EC and general ed team? And what's most important for our children, not only through the rest of this academic year, but how do we best prepare them for the start of the 2021 year? Right. Right. Now, and Alexandra said that they, they sent out a pulse check, which I like that. Um, to all families to see how they were feeling and then they're making changes over spring break to make mm -hmm. sure that they respond to the majority responses and, and that pulse check so you're not just going by the responses you know that you see on zoom or the homework assignments that you're you know the, the quality of work that you're receiving you're actually asking directly asking which I, I think goes a long way in people knowing that you care and then the, of course the result of everything that the plan changes to reflect what that pulse check communicated. Yeah, so two, so two other questions that I posed yesterday, I mean, we're, we're right here on it. So I wanna make sure that we stay in this uh, topic here and I wanna you know, make sure we have a chance if other people can, you know, you can respond by chat or you know, tell us we're on the right page or whatever. Uh, but I mean, how might your perceptions and assumptions be influencing your thinking about what is possible? For some of your families, they probably want more. Right. I mean, I remember those families, right. They could just, they consumed and consumed and consumed. And for some of them, they're like, just, gosh, I don't, you know, I, I don't even know how to turn on this computer thing. Right. Or I don't know how to get this <laughs> Chromebook to work. Right. So, so you have to be careful of, of understanding how you're going to uh, differentiate. And then what's that second question that I posed is what's most important right now for your students and your families and even your principal, right, or your team. So I'd love to spend some time really kind of thinking through that part two question. What is most important right now to your student, to your family, and to your principal, and how do you know that that's what's most important? We'd love to hear from you. Jump on the line if you, you know, you have a, a response. Yeah, I'm curious about that pulse check. I mean, did that, you know, pulse check kind of ask that type of question? Like, what do you want to see out of this time? You know, what do you want to most uh, get out of it? I, I've unmuted myself. I'll go ahead. I just, if that's okay. Yeah. With all of this going on, we're, you know, the teachers, we're checking in weekly. I'm getting on the Zooms with the teachers. I'm the principal at the school. So I really do hope that everyone that's involved, like parents, stakeholders, everyone with the school is being like upfront and honest with how things are going on because I don't want this to all be said and done in like July and be like, well, you should have done this or you should have done that or it should have been this way because it is like a little bit of a fear of mine. So I really try to tell people in my emails, like, let us know what we can do. Are there any comments or questions or concerns? Because I don't want it to just be boiling up and then, you know, in July when the school's reopen or August, they say like, well, they should have done this or they should have done that. So I just, 
we're trying to be really clear with what we're communicating and I just hope it's working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so one way to really get to the nitty gritty of that, you know, Teresa is um, maybe go first, right? And just, you know, if you're a Patrick Lencioni fan, like he's always talking about, you know, being authentic and mm -hmm. sharing first and, and that, you know, leadership team meeting that I just hosted, like that's what happened. The leader went first because I asked that question, what are you most fearful of? Right. And she went first and then the rest of her team just started, I'm like, okay, good. Well, if you're feeling this way, how do you think your <laughs> teachers are feeling? Ah, then, well, let's ask them. Yeah, go for it. And then that, there's that fear of like the honesty coming out and you're like, oh, great. Like, you know, it's just, then the floodgates open and, but it gives you the, you know, the background to like fix it for the future. Like if we ever have to go through this again or open in the fall remotely, you know, that's right. could be a possibility. We just don't know. Yeah. And one of, you know, one of the staff members said, she said, God, I feel so better that I just said that out loud. <laughs> that was all right. So I think that's important. You're all leaders in your organization uh, at a high level, whether you're the head of the school or the EC director or, you know, like a teacher or whoever. And I think that's important. And then to, to, to build that um, thoughtful sharing platform for your organization uh, to, to get to the root of everything of how, how we can really, really help each other through this because you know, everybody across the world is going through the same uh, pause. There's nobody who's really not. And um, so everybody's gonna have a little dip in their in their education you know catch up but you know the ones who aren't going to have a dip are the ones that have a you know someone at home who can really drive them through the process and that's a you know that's an outlier and those outliers always exist but it's the ones that are going to be who really focus on the organizational health of their people of their students of their clients that are going to be the winners i believe in this you know situation so we've got a couple more chats and i'll let some other people thanks uh, for being authentic there uh, Teresa. it's 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 really important thank you yeah a good point about the zoom here right this was something that we just kind of thought about too how do you how do you get to an authentic place through a virtual environment mm -hmm. Yep. And Courtney just made the point that uh, phone calls have been very effective for them reaching out to parents. And I just was wondering why phones would be more comfortable. Is it because then you don't have that whole like, will I show myself on the video and, and my house is a mess and my hair is not done. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> yep. uh, but as long as you can find an avenue where the parents will be honest, you know, and that would help, you know, folks like Teresa get, the transparency they want and the responses that they want. Uh, so what else has worked for you guys to, to connect with your parents, to, to help them to communicate the plan and to, to understand their pain points? So Yvonne says, again, we were talking about Zoom versus phone calls. Kids may not be comfortable with us seeing their houses. Yeah, that's a reality. I'm not always comfortable with everyone seeing my house. Uh, so I can understand, you know, kids having that same fear. You know, Rhonda, this is making some really great conversation with, I know all the really important work that you do in terms of um, conversations with, with, you know, legislators and, you know, uh, state leaders, it's, it's really important that we take these concerns and, 
be able to communicate them um, have these avenues. So this is really great, you know, data and information for folks who, you know, can, you know, better understand the challenge that everybody's uh, going through here. So, yeah, so I'm really uh, curious about, you know, this is a, you know, safe, safe spot. If you're, you know, willing to share maybe, you know, what are some things that you're most concerned about or what are you learning are the needs of your, of your families and your, um, and your students and, it goes a lot, you know, deeper than just the educational point at times. Yeah, um, well, I'm sure everybody is concerned about funding for next year. I, I keep hearing that over and over and over because um, the economy is going to take a hit. And as a result, the legislature is going to have to make decisions about where they put that money. Um, <clears throat> so there is a real chance as representative Horn and representative Clemens talks last week on the call that, um, there, there could be a hit to education funding. That is a, a real concern. Um, speaking specifically about that, part of the CARES Act there was a provision in there for what is known as the governor's emergency education relief and the governor has complete discretion over how he doles out 96 million dollars in the state to education institutions well uh it doesn't matter if you're democrat or republican we know Governor Roy Cooper is not a fan of charter schools. So before he makes that decision, I'm actually uh, contacting his office and putting the bug in his ear that charter school students are just as valuable as district students. And in a lot of cases, charter schools could be suffering even more than district schools because of the difference in funding from the beginning from the get-go so we want to make sure that he's fair um, our constitution guarantees uh, uh, you know that students have um, access to a fair and equitable educational experience so that's a specific concern um, another concern I have is the connectivity and device issue across the state um, <clears throat> you know it makes me think about years ago when electricity was first being installed you know in, across the country in people's homes and at, there was a time in this country when electricity and telephones were considered a luxury but no one would consider that a luxury today <laughs> right yeah no same with connectivity um it's in, in today's world with distance learning the way it is, it's virtually impossible for students to be able to get access to a high quality education without having connectivity and without having a device. And, you know, we know that there are families that have multiple children in the home and maybe one device if they're lucky. So um, that needs to be, we need to take a, a totally new, um, look at the importance of those things and instead of considering them as you know an add-on or a luxury or 
well, you know, you can have a hundred laptops for the 500 kids in your school. That's not going to work. That just won't work anymore. So we need our legislature to take a second look at that and, and um, understand the importance of those things for our yeah. students, for our teachers and families. That I, I probably spoke longer than you wanted me to on that. But. <laughs> uh, listen, so, so two things. I want to make sure you guys can see my screen. It's, it's, got, it's got the four options that we're you know, you know, looking towards on there. Katie, is that, is that mm -hmm. what's up? Okay, good. That's what's on there, yeah. Um, Rondi made some really great points. And one of the key points is to remember that even though a child has a Chromebook, right, that's replacing maybe the pen and the paper, it doesn't ever replace the love and the relationship and the actual ability of the teacher to be able to teach that child, right? It's just, it's just a band-aid. And so even if we were all having to move to remote learning, there has to be design around it. So that's where I would love to, in our last, you know, 15 minutes, is to really think through, like, there's going to be four options coming up. And, and, you know, whether or not you're prepared, May 18th is coming, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. May 18th is the potential first day back in a school building. And, um, you know, so there's four options. One is that you go back on that day. One could be on May 18th, you go back and there's two education plans, one being virtual because some, you know, parents just may just refuse. I'm not sending my kid back to school. I just, I just don't, I don't know if it's safe to be able to do that. Option three is we stay virtual all the way through the last day of school and we open brick and mortar, you know, next year on schedule, hopefully, you know, 1,025 hours. Or option four is that we prepare to open next year in a remote learning environment, which is very, very possible. You know, we don't know with or without an extended school calendar. So without Rhonda's, you know, saying that, you know, the budget's going to take a big impact, let's take that off the table. And let's say you had unlimited resources. <laughs> How would you solve this current problem, right? If COVID-19 is still in place, three to four months from now when we're when we're looking to reopen the buildings, you know, based upon these four options. I mean, what are some of your outside the box, you know, thinkings? There's no, there's no bad idea here in here because every idea will work. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you guys have thought through and what you're thinking on what, what would your education plan look like for your students with disabilities? Unmute yourself or throw it in the chat. While they're thinking about it, uh, I'll just throw this in there. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm not a school leader anymore and I'm not a teacher, but I can tell you that I did both of those things for a long time. And the probably the best piece of advice I can give right now is uh, everyone needs to be reflecting on what works and what doesn't mm -hmm. and make and use that to inform the plan for going into uh, going back to school, whether it's brick and mortar or virtually, and um, make a plan for both based on the lessons that have been learned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and what we want to do is we want to head into school, you know, by uh, design, not by default, right? We don't want to ha have accidental design. We want to create a design that, you know, we believe will work and is and is you know doable based upon exactly what you said Rhonda 
what works. And this is why one of our charges this week is to get schools really thinking about, if you haven't created one yet, a return to school committee. Whenever we return to brick and mortar or you know, start the next school year, we need to think like, it's gotta be different. We need better planning and different thinking around that. And that's exactly what Rhonda was just sharing. So collecting data right now and identifying what's working for us and what's not working for us and how do we know and how do we um, improve that for next year? Because you may have a summer school, right? You, you know, you're gonna have compensatory services. You're gonna have some things that you're gonna have to offer off hours, or maybe your school decides, hey, we're gonna have 200 days next year of school compared to 170 or 185, whatever you guys do. And so there's gonna have to be some other ways to educate uh, students and you have to start thinking about that now and there's no bad ideas so i saw some chats coming katie what do we got here so we have from v phillips some of our ec students are not getting on zoom but so what the ec teacher did was just started calling and say hey you know tell me your abcs let me hear you count to 10 um, and just trying to hit on some of those iep goals uh, you know to stay compliant and for the ec teacher feel like okay i'm doing my job and to touch base with those kids um you know so because everybody wants to feel needed and, and that kid needs that interaction so for whatever reason they um, aren't able to get onto zoom but the school is taking steps to make sure that child's still being taken care of yeah so if that platform is working right so then you have to think about okay what what would this work like? What would this look like three or four months from now from a more sustainable you know, spot? Could it be other staff members calling and say, hey, here's the two or three questions. Go ahead and they record it, right? Or, mm -hmm. or maybe they just have a virtual checkbox that says, yes, they did it or no, they didn't. You know, kind of going back to the end class, right? When you were listening for uh, fluency um, mm -hmm. you know, on, those, on those little tasks, yeah. So it might mean, you know, one of these options next year means, hey, I need new staff, you know, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Principal, or I need, or I need hours of time uh, for staff that may, may be, you know, non-exempt, right? They're not, you know, necessarily leading a class, maybe they're a teacher assistant or, or a different worker to at least minimum call and check in, right? So that could be part of your plan. What else? Mm -hmm. What else, everybody? Unlimited resources. Come on, EC people, unlimited resources. How would you solve this problem? Let's think outside the box. Like what if you could equip sensory rooms in all your family's homes that with kids <laughs> with sensory issues? Wouldn't that be awesome that they could create that resource at home uh, and then they could practice anytime they want? It would be fun, could be a family. Uh, that, was, that was one idea I had, that yeah. if I had all the money in the world, I would, I would equip those kids with proprioceptive issues, you know, give them the, the tools they need. Right. And you also built, you know, students in your school, like really unique workspaces too, didn't you, Katie? That's right. Yeah. They had seating options. They had these desk swings so they could, they kind of, they attached to the desk so their feet could go in the swing and move back and forth. And we had standing desks just to give options for students who um, 
had exceptionalities or just preferences for mm -hmm. their learning environment. Yeah. Or like I think about like, you know, building a, um, uh, you know, a, a real ease of easy to use, you know, like with your YouTube page or, or, you know, maybe you had the time to teach all these, like create your own Khan Academy in a sense. I mean, Khan Academy, I remember when Khan Academy started uh, in the late, you know, 2000s and it was just this like tiny little resource. And I remember saying to my math curriculum guy, I was like, Hey, this Khan Academy thing's, you know, pretty cool. Is there a way we can use it? And he said, Oh man, it'll never last. <laughs> 15 years later, you know, 13 years later, it's one of the most used, like, you know, like academy tools and the guys made millions of dollars off of it, right? So, I mean, like you think about everything that we have here, our, our computers, I've got this, you know, pile of uh, post-it notes that are attached to some crazy thing. Everything came from a thought or even a mistake. That's how we got post-it notes. It was actually mm -hmm. a mistake, right? I mean, if any of you have either taken an Uber, Uber doesn't, own a car, right? Anybody of you use Airbnb, uh, they don't own a room, yet they rent more rooms than all the major hotels combined. Like there's all this innovation happening. And yeah. innovation is an accepted idea by a community of people that creates better results, period. So what innovative ideas can you start to think and bring to your community? So Yvonne has a few things that she's put in the chat. So one is a, a practical idea about mailing packages with return postage mm -hmm. um, and assist students via telephone. So, you know, send them the package, but then make sure they can send it back and you don't have to worry about whether mom has a stamp or can get to the post office. Yeah. Uh, and a, another one would be offering outside service provider assistance at the children's homes. You know, so they can do it in the comfort of their home. That gets rid of like the whole issue with you know students being embarrassed that they have to be pulled out of class. Um, and if we can't go back face to face, maybe there would be a safe way to to set that up. Yeah, Courtney's talking about you know creating hotspots. You know, like mm -hmm. you know, regional hotspots or community hotspots. And I just saw uh, Steve Joyner had that message that they're starting to put hot um, hotspots on school buses. Yeah, uh, in, yeah. Uh, South Carolina, so they can extend the opportunities, you know, uh, for students, or maybe even you just put a bus in a community, right? Just drop it in the middle of the neighborhood, and everybody come off of the hotspot. Um, yeah, really, really great ideas. I was just uh, one just popped to my in and out of my head. I'll come back here in a second. Um, but yeah, what what ways can you provide, you know, your services? What ways can you multiply? yourself so recording yourself you know teaching a specific strategy or lesson or helping you know parents better organize their um, you know child's uh, you know math problem right by 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 you know being really um, step by step and organizational and because that's what they need right they you know the parents need a way to make it easy so they can help their child feel less frustrated to reduce their frustration. So anything you can do to reduce the frustration of a parent is going to reduce the anxiety of a child, which is going to make your job easier, right? So you're almost thinking a backwards design here. I'm helping mom and dad more than I'm you know, actually helping um, you know, the yeah. child at times. Yeah, I was telling you about my son's German teacher who he, I, he's a great communicator. I, I, he's a great teacher, but he was giving students weekly assignments and they were all due on the same day. And 
it worked for my son. He's a gymnast, so he's used to getting all his work done on certain days because on gym days, there's no time. Mm. But he grew up doing that from, you know, K to he's in 10th grade. So, but for some students, that was a new experience. And so they wait until that last day and they found that they didn't have enough time to get the work done. Mm. So instead of the teacher getting mad, you know, not everybody completing all the work, he talked to the students who didn't complete the work and they admitted, they said, I waited until the last day. So he he adjusted it and said, okay, now I'm going to give you an assignment and it's due on a particular day. And, you know, and if you have a problem, like if you can't get access to technology or whatever the issue is, then you have to email me and, you know, talk to me about why, and then we'll come up with a date that works. So he's, he's just adding some flexibility with some firm deadlines as well. So uh, we'll see how that goes. My son was like, that's just stupid. I could get it all done. I'm like, well, you're not everybody. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right. careful those assumptions in those, in those mm-hmm. other aspects. Um, someone had wrote about, you know, like unlimited uh, subscriptions to education programs would be fantastic. Or what if even like, you know, I think, you know, a lot of kids are playing things like Fortnite and um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the other, you know, games that my kids playing, right? To, to make them more educational and, and find ways where, where you can find the interest of the child and how do you tie that back into the educational goals that you're trying to uh, provide, right? Because if they can maintain, if they can maintain focus for, you know, 30 minutes on a video game, um, that's still focus, right? Focus is focus. It doesn't matter on what it is. I remember we used to have a lot of those timed IEP goals, you know, that they'll stay, that they'll stay attentive on a, on a specific mm-hmm. task, right, for a certain time. So um, hotspots offering resources like IXL and educational programs for students virtually. It's really interesting. Yesterday I had to sign a, um, a document for Wells Fargo. And, it, you know, that whole, like, DocuSign is kind of old, right? I mean, it's been around. But I was thinking, it's like, boy, this is really easy. And I don't think I necessarily need the Internet to make it work, or maybe I do. But how could you build it easy for like a, you know, like a student? Like it was almost like doing the work for me. And it's almost what you need at times. Because all you need to do is you know that the child could either like follow directions, right? That's normally when an IEP goals is following directions, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the uh, blank or to rote count or to skip count or whatever. So how could you, how could the platform of what you're providing be easier, you know, for that student, because all you need to know is that they have the skill, right? And you have to be very specific on how they would um, demonstrate that skill to you. So, so this is my challenge to the group for the week, is to take these four questions or these four options. And that question, like, how would you solve this uh, problem? And to, to begin the process of building a return to school committee, if you haven't done this already, and it's something we're going to talk about during our school leader community call tomorrow, but you could build your exceptional children's team return to school committee. Like what will it look like? Because May 18th is less than 30 days away. So if you're going back in a brick and mortar situation, it's less than 30 days. And it's not just going to be, we come back into school and it's right where they picked up. There's going to be all sorts of things. So what do you want your students to experience? What will be the first couple of things that you'll do with them? You know, maybe you need to go back to almost the first days of school research and, you know, really start thinking about mm-hmm. how do we bring, you know, individuals back in the, in, who have just been through, um, a re, you know, a crisis. You know, maybe they've lost relatives. Maybe they've, maybe their parents lost their job, right? 
what what will school look like? What will you be for those students? Um, and and then how do you how do you start to kind of build this education plan that can remotely educate kids, but also you know face to face educate children? Maybe maybe you can bring kids back into your building um, from June through you know July in you know spaced out rooms to be able to give them that one-on-one you know I don't know but there's things that we need to think about and I want you to start thinking about them now I want you to start you know posing these questions now and it's okay to be uncertain but it's not okay to be unclear right so it's part of your job and uh, you can't do this alone right so this is where you most rely on your team and you say hey I can't do this without you and maybe even part of the conversation is with your parents I can't do this without you either what would it look like, right? How could we best serve you through these next, you know, 90, 90 to 120 days um, with or without brick and mortar school as we know it? Tom. Yes, go for it. Something out there. Option number one, the quarantine is lifted and we go back to school. Um, I wanted to share what Kate Alice Dunaway at Invest Collegiate Transform told me what she's going to do. She already anticipates that uh, students are going to be excited to be back. And they're, you know, that first day is probably going to be a little chaotic. So rather than fight that, she's embracing that. And she said, we're just going to have fun the first day. We're going to have a cookout. And we're going to play games and we're going to celebrate everybody being back together. So, uh, and then we'll get back into the routine after that. So I think that's a great idea. Um, and you know, other, I'm sure she wouldn't mind if people steal it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's good. Right. So let's, that's what, that's what our team's going to be working on this week is capturing those return to school ideas and also really, you know, kind of really thinking about what are people fearful of? And then how do you begin to build a backwards design to reduce or eliminate that fear of what it is, right? And when I say fear, let's just say like, um, you know, 20, 20% of your kids don't come back to your school, right? Or, or there's a massive, you know, budget crunch or, um, you know, there's lots of things that it could be, you can start working right now to eliminate that. Right, but it's a matter of saying it out loud, getting it up on a whiteboard, and start designing your dream school 2020 2021. Katie, any last words? Well, it sounds like we have some great relationship folks on this call. So, you know, be the model for your school. You virtually while you can now, but uh, continue to think about how you can um, cascade that through your school community. Yeah, and it really starts with you, right? Just like Katie just shared, uh, it starts with you. So you you have to be the model, right, for the change that you want to see, right? I think someone very famous said that, didn't they? Right? Be the change that you want to see. So make sure that you are being the relationship builder and creator and communicator uh, for your EC team. Uh, be be the bridge, right? You know, um, don't be a reservoir, a reservoir, don't be a reservoir, right? Be a river and be pouring into people and be asking questions and picking up the phone and doing what you've got to do to be who your families need you to be for them at this time and be looking forward, right? Stop just looking next week's calendar. You got to start looking 
in the future um, so we can have a better design plan. So thanks, everybody. Look forward to seeing you next week. Don't come to the session without your homework. And that's I'm going to design the Dream 2020-21 program for our school. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everybody.